Hey Bene, this is Rina Deepthi Anabil and you're listening to The Sisterhood of Mummy Imperfect, the podcast where each and every week I explore different aspects of womanhood. The podcast where I speak to fierce and fabulous females who are all game changers in their own way. My guest today is Meeta Mystery. She is a mindfulness-based cognitive therapist and coach, an acupuncturist. She offers various other well-being therapies like cupping and gua sha. I need to find out exactly what that is. Basically, <laughs> if you've got a problem, she'll sort you out. And she's also a newspaper columnist and an author and her book um, about social anxiety and understanding social anxiety came out just last week. She's also from Coventry, like me. I'm telling you so much good comes out of Coventry. So <laughs> welcome to the Sisterhood of Mommy and Perfect, Mita. How are you? I'm good, thank you, Rina. How are you? I'm really good. Um, thank you so much for joining me and it's, it's lovely to have you. And I've been really looking forward to speaking to you, especially since I started um, reading your book. Thank you for having me on and, and I'm glad uh, you've started to read the book. So it's lovely to be here. Thank you. So you're, you are a powerhouse of wellness and well-being just in a holistic sense, aren't you? And I just have to ask, what is Gua sha. Am I saying it right? Gua sha. Yeah, you are saying it right. So gua sha, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's an ancient Chinese technique where you use, um, it, it looks like a spade or something, a flat object, and you really scrape the skin. And what it does, it brings a, a toxic blood and stagnant blood to the surface of your skin. And it's actually really good. It's very good for like um, neck injuries, any kind of uh, pain, mm -hmm. or actually it's very um, rejuvenating for our skin as well. Well, so you can do gua sha on the face it's a good mm. cosmetic treatment as well so yeah it, it sounds good and, and what about um moxibustion I, I read that somewhere as well when I looked at yeah. your website I was like I need to ask what that is I have no idea okay so moxibustion is the burning of a herb um on it's called artemisia vulgaris that's the latin name and it's the burning of a herb on an acupuncture point and what that does is it actually increases the number of white blood cells in the body so it helps to boost the immune system but it also gives a very warming sort of nourishing treatment if you're going for acupuncture so it looks a little bit like wacky backy and it smells a bit like <laughs> wacky backy I know it's really dodgy I'll have to I'll have to do a video on it actually but um, yeah it looks very dodgy but it's very good for you um I, I I'm just so interested in like either like lo looking at it being done or having it done myself and I find it really interesting that you know you um so you're you know a therapist in terms of behavioral therapy but also um this kind of stuff to do with just the actual body and you know cleansing and stuff as well what made you go into this kind of work and and to fuse it together like this yeah, that, that's a really good question. Really interesting, actually. So, I mean, I, my previous career was in management and IT consultancy, which I did for like wow. around 15 years. That's what I did my degree in. I did a master's in computer science, but it was not something that I found fulfilling or I wasn't happy. You know, when you know you're going in day in, day out to that job and you just come out and your soul is like destroyed because you feel that you're not really living your purpose or your yeah. calling there's a calling inside you that's so strong and it's almost like you have to explore it and see what is this about what what, what is it that I need to do so that's how I uh, really sort of came into it is I started to explore uh, different career options and 
I looked at sort of teaching, nutrition. I looked at lots of different things. And actually what happened was I actually had enrolled on a course at the University of Birmingham to do naturopathy. And in the third year, you had to specialize in a subject like herbal medicine or acupuncture. And I'd never actually had acupuncture. So I started to research it. And then I stumbled upon a course that was starting um, in, at a college near our home in Warwickshire, near Leamington Spine. It was actually Oxford Brooks University. And I thought, oh, so let me go and have a look at the open day. And I just remember driving up the long winding path and something about it felt so right, even though I'd never had acupuncture. And then the entire day, the way it felt unfolded, everything that was said to me just struck a chord. And incidentally, it was really weird because, you know, a couple of years later, I mean, I did embark upon the course and the, the timing was really right because my daughter was starting school and it, it would have meant that I was only going into college on a Monday and Tuesday, but then sort of halfway into the degree, doing sort of acupuncture my my grandmother passed away and um when her flat was cleared out they found my dad found a whole load of files which were my granddad's files and he'd actually been teaching himself um the meridians the sort of chinese pulse diagnosis the tongue diagnosis and he'd he'd got lots of research on it as well so i thought oh that was a sign and confirmation Mm -hmm. that i'd followed the right um path okay Wow, I, I I didn't know any of this, and I I didn't know number one that you were you did a completely different career before, and you're a mom as well, so you're balancing all this and learning and changing your career with motherhood. Yeah, absolutely. Which is, can't have been easy to do that. No, it was really tough. Um, really, really tough. It wasn't easy, but I'm lucky that I've got a good support network. So, and I've got a supportive husband and a supportive mom and dad as well which is really really helpful but it wasn't easy uh but it's one of those things where when you totally believe in something it's worth it you just keep plugging away yeah yeah so it wasn't easy it still isn't easy even now that they're older it's never easy juggling all these different plates no it's not how old are your kids so my daughter's 19, she's off to university this weekend, second year, and my son is uh, 14, he'll be 15 soon. So, you know, they're, they're fairly independent now, they're teenagers, but still, they'll always be your babies. You still, as a mother, you still constantly think about them. And and, and, and they do need you in different ways, do. though. Like, it's not just like, oh, you know, they can do everything by themselves, that's it. They still need you, but in just in different ways, right? Yeah, absolutely. They still need you. You are ultimately their safety blanket. You are their guide. And that person that they'll always turn to. So yeah, just because they're older and independent doesn't switch it off or doesn't make it any easier. Mm. Uh, It does get easier in some aspects, but you swap it with another set of challenges that's what I'm finding that's what I'm finding how old are yours so um I have three girls and they are 13 11 and 6 so there's so two of them are on at a secondary school now and it is like you know new challenges um yeah and so the little one's got different challenges they've got different challenges but it's all a learning curve and it's all a challenge and you know they're all different so you know what I'm talking about I do anyway but but hats off to you for doing it and um and and you know living your purpose and and you've already you've you've recently um had your book out 
the, the new right. book. So just tell me a little bit about that. Okay, so my book was published on the 8th of September by Somersdale. It's called How to Understand and Deal with Social Anxiety. So it's all it's a little pocket guide, uh, but there's lots of information in there um, about understanding what is social anxiety, uh, the different situations you might feel socially anxious. And so a lot of people might not actually be aware that they are socially anxious because we all have social fears. There's a spectrum of it, whether you're shy or you've got full-blown uh, social anxiety disorder we all feel the, the the social fears from time to time so it's just recognizing and understanding it and how it ha- what how it has an impact on you in terms of your mind your body and if it's stopping you from living your life fully really. so and then the second part of the book uh, I discuss different tools and techniques on how to manage uh, your your anxiety or your social fears what I really like about the book is that it's so accessible, like it's quite easy to read because, you know, I've, I've looked at other books um, from time to time about this kind of thing, anxiety and stress. And, and it's like there's sometimes they're so complicated. You feel like you have to kind of be doing a PhD in the subject to actually understand and gain the knowledge. But this I really love because it's just everything is just set out, you know, so like in a just a very easy to understand way. So that, that I think that, you know, my my kids are probably like my older ones would like to read it as well, I think. Yeah. Thank you, Rina. Yes. And that's that was the whole uh, purpose of, of this book is to make it easily accessible to different age groups, but also not to be so overwhelming. I think you're absolutely right. A lot of books, particularly about mental health and nonfiction books, can be a little bit overwhelming. You pick it up, you read the first couple of pages and think, I need a dictionary to understand yeah. that. Or, you know, it can be quite overwhelming. And if, if somebody isn't feeling good about themselves already, you, they, you don't want to feel like a failure, uh, you, you know, by not being able to complete reading a book. So the idea really is to have bite-sized pieces of information which are succinct uh, but full of facts and backed by science, but easy to read and with a vocabulary that's easy to read as well that young people can also engage and connect with it yeah and it's part of a series of books isn't it this book yeah that's right so there's how to understand and deal with anxiety depression and stress mm-hmm. as well yeah okay and are they all kind of do they follow the similar kind of format well they're, they're all written by different authors with mm-hmm. their own different experiences so um it, it'll be it's, it's similar in the sense that there'll be a sort of how to understand it and then the sort of deal with but the actual tips and information you'll get inside will be very different depending on the author and what experience they bring to the table and and let's just talk about your experience with this with social anxiety is is it written from a quite a personal place well I did grow up with a lot of social fears and social anxiety particularly between the ages of sort of six to around teenage years so I know what it feels like to be socially anxious and avoid situations and become invisible uh, so yeah in, in a part part it is written from a personal experience because I do wish that when I was growing up I had a book like that to help me understand that actually I'm not alone in feeling this and there's nothing wrong with me. It's a normal human experience and there are things that I can do about it. So it is written from that perspective in in the sense that I wish that I had that book available when I I was younger. So yes. Six is really young to start feeling like that, isn't it? Or is that quite normal for kids to feel like that? 
some kids can feel uh, socially anxious as young as that age, often and more sort of more often it's sort of triggered during the teenagers when people start to become really uh, self-conscious. But social anxiety or social fears can be triggered at any age, uh, even with adults. So even now at the moment with COVID happening uh, and we, when we've all been asked to socially distance, a lot of people's social fears have been um, triggered as well. So, uh, but yes, six is quite a young age and, and I know exactly where it stems from because I was bullied at school uh, at that age. So, um, and I faced a little bit of racism as well. Um, growing up in Coventry, it was quite racist in the, the 70s. So I know where it stems from. Um, and, and that's from doing my own healing work and, and doing that deep work. But it's something that I've resolved now and, and now using that experience to help other people in similar situations. Mm. So you were just, were you just left like really aware that, you know, I'm different and I don't belong here, yes. quote, quote unquote, as other people might say? Yeah, it was very much I don't belong and I'm not or I'm not good enough. That, that The not being good enough was a, a big one for me because it just felt like, wherever I went I just didn't fit in so uh because and then you take that on as well like it's because I'm not good enough so I mean I know that you you said that you've, you've overcome that now and healed from it but that's really heartbreaking for a, a little kid to think like that and I know it's a common thing you know mm. that back then and even now in some places mm. it is heartbreaking and when I look back you just think gosh that is sad you know that's how I felt uh but the good news is it is possible to overcome it. And, and, and just it can creep back from time to time as well. So you do have to really remind yourself of, of your worth and remember um, that, you know, this is this feeling isn't permanent. It stems from this belief that isn't actually real about yourself. It's a, a belief that we have about ourselves because of our external environments and how we've been judged or scrutinized or not not being seen or heard yeah what what does social anxiety look like then how does it present itself how do can we see you know, okay they've they've got some issues with social anxiety or even within ourselves so there's there's I mean obviously everyone's individual and unique so it would present differently based on your individual sort of personality or character but some of the common signs to look out for are things like uh, somebody who doesn't make eye contact or they avoid making a conversation. So you say, for example, you see your neighbor and they see you coming and they run the opposite direction or they run into the house quickly. Um, so just avoiding that, that human face-to-face -face connection can be a very big telltale sign. When somebody starts to um, maybe blush or get really sort of self-conscious uh, or not really be present in a group setting or they become really quiet or withdrawn it could be that they're feeling socially anxious they don't know what to say they fear they're fearful of being judged so there's lots of different uh signs to look out for and in ourselves really we have to sort of inquire if you do you know maybe you're in a queue at the supermarket and somebody looks at you and they you can tell they want to make a conversation with you but you sort of look down at your feet and they i don't want to talk to you ask why is that why are you avoiding that human connection because actually as humans we are hardwired for that connection so why do we avoid it so it's a if you notice yourself doing that it's a good cue to sort of inquire why am I why am I doing this or it could be other safety behaviors like before attending parties maybe you have to have some alcohol to just loosen up and just feel a little less nervous so there's lots of telltale signs I mean the amount 
of people that I know who do have alcohol before social gatherings, in the mm-hmm. social gatherings, have something in their hand, it, you know, and they, they, it's only when they do that that they actually open up and you're like, oh my God, you're really friendly. Um, and then there's also um, a lot of people who would look at their phone and they're just in a room full of people at a family gathering or whatever and they're on the phone and uh, I mean it, it I kind of looked in the book and um it did say that that was one of the the coping mechanisms as well yeah. isn't it it's a safety behavior that's right so when they're feeling socially anxious what they do is they distract so they become hide behind a device it's a way of hiding and avoiding that interaction but then it's like you know some people that do that and and that don't want to talk to their neighbors and all that kind of thing or don't want to speak to someone in the supermarket queue do we just think okay are they suffering from social anxiety or are they not friendly are they just unfriendly do they just not want to talk to people are they like I don't I don't need to talk to you do you get what I mean I don't know how to differentiate that yeah Yeah, I mean some people are naturally uh, private naturally introverted and they recharge their batteries by being uh, on their own and they and they, they prefer not to uh, communicate. But again, you know, uh, humans, we are very social creatures. We are hardwired to be, you know, sort of living and surviving in tribes and communities. So again, you know, it's, it's probably not that normal really to sort of avoid that many sort of interactions and communications. So, but yeah, there, there is there a personality thing here as well. So some people are extroverts and they they recharge their emotional batteries by being around people. Not everybody is like that. But regardless of whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, we all need the hu- human connection. We need that warmth. Yeah. Um, so what did the pandemic actually do to us in that way? Yeah, I mean, the, the mental health repercussions from the pandemic are still surfacing so it is a form of trauma on society it's considered as an adversity so just by being told uh, that we can't uh, hug one another touch each other can't say hello we have to stay apart that in itself will have had an impact on our uh, sort of psyche Uh, but not just that it's the whole you know that whole trauma of what we went through uh, will have a different impact on different people in terms of their anxiety levels. Um, and, and, and of course, you know, for two years, we haven't really socialized as much as we normally would. We haven't gone out to parties or in big groups. And we know from scientific evidence that uh, when, you know, uh, there was a study done and the, these were uh, po- uh, explorers who'd been to the Antarctic and they'd spent 12 months there and at the end of their stay, the part of the brain that's um, involved with sort of communication was a lot smaller. So their social skills had been affected by not communicating with people for 12 months. So whether we realize it or not, it will have had an impact on our social skills. I mean, we've all got social skills. It's just we haven't been using them mm. fully for the last sort of 24 months. I mean, I saw it kind of in myself and and with friends as well and friends that went out more than me like always doing something social stuff parties this and that and then after after the pandemic when it was like oh you know I've got I've got a family function or I've got to go into London for something like they literally told me that they were up the whole night just worrying Mm -hmm. about it and and that would never have happened so and and same with me I was like oh god I've I've got to take my kids and go somewhere you know so you're right we don't realize how it affected us but it yeah, definitely did, didn't it? It did, it did. And, and what you're saying, Rina, I also 
have experienced myself as well, like the thought of having to go somewhere from being so used to being, uh, you know, just your family unit in your home. And it does, it's like all the things you have to think about, I've got to pack this. And it does bring a new level of anxiety, things that you just do beforehand, not think about. Yeah. Now it's like, oh, okay, um, a lot more thought is going. And the more we overthink things, the worse it can feel as well. So, you know, in the book, again, you know, we talk a lot about thoughts and unhelpful thoughts and how we can break that cycle as well. So it's just recognising how it's affecting you. And with young people, I think, I just felt so sorry for them during the Mm. pandemic. You know, like my kids, for example, um, when they had to go back to school, there was that anxiety of like, oh no, I've got to go back to school. I've got to see people. These are their own friends, you know, their own friends and the same class that they were in, but it's like, I've got to go and, you know, Mm. be social and everything again. And then it was that whole, oh, you know, I need to wear a mask. Okay. And then when the masks were removed, okay, you know, kids, you can take off your mask. Then it was like, oh my God, I'm going to have to show my face to people, you know, um, this kind of thing, like especially teenagers, like my one of my daughters said that and my nieces said that as well, like, oh, I'd rather just actually have the mask on and hide behind yeah. that. So yeah. I just thought, oh my gosh, like, you know, there's so much to deal with in those teenage, teenage years anyway. And then yeah. they had that on top of it. I felt so sorry for them. Yeah, absolutely. It's a lot. And there's so much unpredictability. And that's the problem with anxiety is your brain needs that stability and predictability. And we just haven't had that. And even now with sort of re-entering society, like you say, Mm -hmm. you know, the mask wearing, not wearing them, people have, you know, almost uh, become uh, attached to the mask where they feel safe hiding their face. Uh, behind it and now they're having to take it off and that brings a level of anxiety so yeah there's so much unpredictability and that is not that's not the best for our brains because our brains like that stability Mm -hmm. um you know you talked a little bit about personality types and I just wanted to kind of talk a little bit about nature versus nurture and Mm -hmm. how some people are they are they just born extroverts or born introverts or is it experiences like you said that your childhood experiences kind of shaped the way that you felt about yourself mm. is it a bit of both what how, what, how does it work yeah. I think it's um from all the sort of scientific papers and studies that I've read it's not that clear-cut it's it's quite complex in that it's not nature versus nurture it's, it's very individual so it depends on individual uh, circumstances but it's probably a combination of lots of different factors so where uh, some people are uh, genetically likely to be predisposed to certain conditions certain mental illnesses or um, sort of certain conditions your environment does make a difference as well so it really is a difficult question to answer because it's very much uh, individual to a person's circumstances and experiences uh, I mean do you think that this whole okay you have social anxiety we need to overcome this and be more outgoing should we just are there some people who we just need to let them be like okay if you're an introvert you're not going to love it and mm. that's okay yeah yeah absolutely so with social anxiety we're not saying to people to become uh, you know out there and become a social butterfly um, and, 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 you know, become sort of, you know, really loud and bubbly. That's not what it's about. It's about recognizing that even if you're an introvert or an extrovert, if you are avoiding 
interactions or conversations or you're avoiding certain situations Mm -hmm. is to understand that so yeah if somebody is naturally introverted just let them be but it's recognizing when you're being introverted and when you're actually avoiding certain situations if that makes sense yes yeah because I kind of feel and correct me if I'm wrong that a person who's labeled an extrovert that they could have social anxiety as well yeah absolutely it doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert anybody can have social anxiety so yeah some people um you know might appear really competent on the outside but we don't know how they felt before the event or after the event so you might see somebody at a party who's really you know engaging they're fine but then they go home and they ruminate about everything that happened mm. they do post motor analysis and then they work themselves up and they become really really anxious so yeah it's recognizing that as well so. yeah uh, one of my sisters is i mean she'll say to me in in post analysis of uh, social yeah. you know gatherings oh was you know did i was this okay when i said this she'll she'll say that um, I, I think she's she's was one of those people. I am one of those people that talks for a living. <laughs> yeah. But even though I talk for a living, it's really weird because I feel like um, I am also that person like at parties, not parties with my own family or friends, but, you know, like actual events where I don't feel that confident. You know, I, I don't know, like I, I feel a little bit like... Um, everybody else kind of knows each other and finds it easier to talk to people on like on a small talk level whereas I could be on the stage and Mm. do my job and talk to people and present the whole thing but Mm. it's just being uh you know one of the many people at an event or something I just I I've often felt that and I don't know why Mm, that's interesting it could be the uh one-to-one connection and there's something about that sort of connecting that that sort of deeper level the spotlight's more on you when you're you're having to make that small talk or you're having to really sort of engage in that yeah. conversation whereas if you're uh, on a stage and spot you're not having to directly engage with that person on an individual level so yeah there, there could be something there interesting yeah and, and it's weird because like I genuinely actually love talking to people and I think I think it's kind of like you know when you just feel a little bit lost and you're like oh god I don't know anyone and I really uh mm. I don't know if I wanted them put myself out there and everybody mm. seems to be kind of mingling and you I don't know I've, I've always felt a little bit like god I just want to be in a corner because I don't like the small talk which is yeah. I don't know why I do it yeah that and that just could be you know your personality where you want to have the deep meaningful conversations <laughs> like, like now you you know that's probably why you're a podcast host yeah. you, you want to dive deep into the topic rather than just you know, they exchange those pleasantries and, and, and that's fine. That's just your personality. So everybody is different and you can engage at whatever level you like. It's, it's just when you, it starts to become a problem and you start to avoid those social situations and you haven't got that yeah. support network around you and you sort of become isolated and lonely. That's not great uh, for anybody's mental health. So, you know, when you spoke about these, um, coping mechanisms or safety behaviors you know things Mm. like the common ones that I talked about like always on your phone in social gatherings or always with a drink in your hand um how can we kind of move away from those behaviors I think first and foremost is recognizing it and become self-aware in yourself and really inquire and I think this is where it's it's not a quick fix 
fix necessarily. It requires sort of really going inward and asking, why am I doing this? And having that um, that motivation that you want to improve and understand your own sort of behaviors. And, and not everybody is ready for that or will be. Uh, and and once you sort of recognize, yeah, I'm doing this and I and, and admit to yourself, yeah, you know what, actually, I'm really nervous here and I do this, then you, you can start to uh, try going into those situations, expose yourself uh, to those situations without your safety behavior. So go to an event, don't have a drink beforehand, see how you cope, see how you are. Do you see what I mean? So you have to try out these little experiments and expose yourself and do something different. So don't do the same as what you've always done, because otherwise you're not challenging your own thoughts or your behavior. Uh, so just what, break it down into small challenges? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think the thing is with any uh, inner work like this, when you tr- if you try to expect too much or do too, uh, you know, take too big a steps or set goals that are unrealistic, you're going to set yourself up for failure. So the the idea really is to take baby steps that you're ready for, and any any small progress is progress, and that's a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And that's what I hope comes across in the book is that to, to work at your pace and to keep moving forward and, and challenge those negative thoughts, those behaviours, uh, and, and, and just so you can experience more joy and, and, and keep an open mind because sometimes we might think, no, I, I haven't got that, I'm fine. But actually, when we let that go and release it, you think, actually, just by being that little bit more open and, and doing something a little bit differently, I've experienced, I've had this new experience and I've learned this about myself and I've made this new connection. Mm-hmm. So we won't know till we try. And what about supporting young people? Like, you know, we're both moms and have teenage children, mine are slightly yeah. younger, but how can we support our kids and address social anxiety in our kids? Yeah, really it's helping them again to understand it, why how, why they may be feeling a certain way in certain situations, just really inquiring. That self-inquiry process is so important, is really understanding yourself. But then in terms of practical uh, tools you can do is help help them with um, relaxation strategies so in the book there's lots of breathing techniques that are very easy for children to use on the go for anybody to use actually so teach them relaxation techniques so when somebody is feeling anxious or overwhelmed what happens is their stress response is activated so that's their fight flight and freeze response so w- what will happen is they'll start to feel either sick in their body their heart will be racing their palms might get sweaty and that in itself makes you feel more uncomfortable and makes you feel more anxious it becomes like this vicious circle so by teaching them these relaxation and breathing techniques they can calm their nerves and activate what we call the parasympathetic nervous system so that's a really good uh, tool grounding techniques uh, is really uh, important, but also help them to recognize their unhelpful thoughts as well. So what we call cognitive reframing. So if you hear them saying things like, I'm just rubbish at making friends, or nobody likes me, or they won't want to play with me, then to challenge that and say and help them reframe that, those negative thoughts as well, really pick up on it and just help them reframe it. So again, in the book, there's ways to do that as well. Uh, and just really work with them on sort of their social and friendship skills as well. It's not that they don't have friendship skills or social skills. And again, in the game, in the book, there's lots of little games that they can try. So you can set little challenges with them. So, you know, maybe say to them, oh, why don't you share something with someone new today? Or 
you know, uh, why don't you tell somebody something that you're happy about that you haven't spoken to before, talk to somebody new from another classroom. So just giving them little goals like that can actually go a long way in helping their social yeah. skills and confidence. That is really lovely, actually. They're, they're such nice, positive things to try out. Like only positivity can come from those things. It's exactly. really nice. Yeah, exactly. And that's all in the book. And you can adapt that to, you know, the children as well. So, yeah, no, it's a great book. So um, thank you for writing it. And um, <laughs> if thank you, you could, for reading. <laughs> um, I just want to, uh, there's one more question, which is, you know, I do know people who have anxiety, whether it's social anxiety or other anxiety, and the, and a lot of the time they'll turn to medicine, they'll turn to drugs, and uh, as in they'll be prescribed something. Uh, when do we need to do that? Is there ever a need to do that? And I know that you're kind of very much into well-being in the holistic sense, but what's your view on it all? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there is a place for, for medication as well. And some people need it. I would never say don't have medication. You should always speak with your GP. If you have been suffering or, uh, for more than six months, or you've consistently had a low mood for more than six weeks, and you really should seek help from your GP or a mental health professional. And there is no shame in taking any medication. Uh, and it's very helpful for some people as well. So one size doesn't fit all. I'm not anti-meds at all. Um, and often a lot of these techniques can work really well alongside medication as well. So it's important that you get the right help for you and you, you find the right soothing strategies for you. So what works for one person might not work for somebody else. So because we are all individuals. So yeah, I'm very, um, I have a very open view on that as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, and, but uh, do you think there's quite a lot that we could actually do before we get to that stage? I mean, there are things we can do, and that and that's where I'm hoping the book is mm -hmm. helpful um, that people can do things, take on self help strategies uh, before uh, going on onto med medication. If you can, that's wonderful. If you can't, then it's okay as well. So absolutely. Okay, thank you so much for coming on and chatting to me. I found it really interesting and um can you just uh remind people the name of your book and where they can get it from thank you for having me on rena it's been a pleasure to chat with you great questions as well so the book is called um how to understand and deal with social anxiety uh you can order it from amazon uh, or waterstones online but it's also in waterstones shops and i think it's it's going to be in urban outfitters flagship stores and it's also in various bookstores around the country like Tate Modern and so you'll, you'll see it around so cool well done really thank well you done so much um, and thank if people want to find out some more information about you do you have like social media handles I do so I'm on Twitter I'm at Meter Mystery and I'm on Instagram it's Meter Mystery on Instagram so thank you amazing and thank you for listening um i would love it if you could share this episode if you haven't subscribed to the podcast then please do that um and you follow me to definitely also you can follow me at sisterhood of mommy and perfect or at rena d annabelle until next week bye <laughs>